director of Phoenix One, and, and, and Phoenix One is an organization that cares deeply for the local church. I, I like to say I want to be a parachurch ministry that the local church is proud of. Like we're going to do such a good job loving the church and caring for the church uh, that, that that it will actually help and move the church forward. So really, what we're doing is we're trying to care for pastors and, and staff around the, around the valley, get them to connect with one another. We believe that that when we are one, John seventeen twenty three, the world will know Jesus. It's evangelistic. And so we're doing everything we can in our power to just really walk alongside of local churches and, and care for them and then connect them with one, with one another. Um, and which is exciting for me today because I, I get to teach here. Like Tim's on a, a sabbatical and I love that I get to fill in and, and hopefully serve uh, this church, his church that, that God has called him to pastor. Here's the thing I love about this church. I, I was actually got to be a part of this church from the very beginning. From the very beginning when the, the first pastor came and then, and then Tim after. And so we've been a part of this journey of this local church since the very, be, very beginning. And here's what I love about this church. Here's what I love about your senior pastor, but here's what I love about this church. This church is resilient. <laughs> Do you know this? Like this church is resilient. You are long suffering, right? You have been through it. You've moved. You've had things like the rug pulled out from underneath you. You're like, what is going on? But yet, look. God is continually blessing this place as a result of that resilience. What I love about your senior pastor, and I'm not just saying this because he asked me to come and speak, I really do love Tim because Tim is a man who loves the Lord. I want you to know this about your senior pastor. He loves Jesus. And that resiliency that you, you've seen and you've gone through as a community is as a result of him really believing the stuff he teaches. You know how sometimes you're like, does he actually believe what he's teaching? Like, I'm just telling you, your senior pastor really does. And so I love that you gave him a break, that he got a little time to get away with Jay and the kids. It's awesome. And I really do love him. I really do love him. And I'm so thankful that this local church has a phenomenal senior pastor who's committed to really caring for all of you, but also caring for his family and his team. So it's really awesome. Um, probably the more important thing about me is that I've been married for 23 years to my wife. I've got uh, three kids, a 20-year-old, uh, a 17-year-old, and a 10-year-old daughter. But I'm really, really excited to be able to teach today. Psalms 42, if you have your Bible, Psalms 42. I love that you've been going through this series in Psalms. Psalms is so appropriate for this period of time right now in church history because the Psalms are honest. The Psalms are these songs that are birthed out of these soul pains, right? And they're honest, they're human. And, and so if you're looking for a place to start reading, start reading in the Psalms. Psalms are start, gonna start opening up that honesty that maybe you have felt for so long, like, I don't know if I can say that, I don't know if I can feel that. The Psalms are gonna open that up and go, look, you can talk to God this way. You can be open and honest. You can both lament and you can... And you can praise him, like you can do that. And the Psalms are inviting us into that, which is so beautiful. So Psalms 42 says this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have become my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? 
These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in a procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope, hope, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of, the, of, of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls out to deep. All at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and all your waves have come over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Because of the oppression of my enemies. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me while they say all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope, hope, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God and my salvation. This is the reading of the word of God and all God's people said, amen. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home most of my life and probably just like you, the rhythm of my life has not just been butterflies and dandelions. It's been difficult. My mom left. I had an affair on my dad when I was 12 years old and then just left. Like I came home from school one day, all of her stuff was gone and she moved in with our family friend that she had had the affair with in North Carolina. We lived in Ohio, just gone. And so ended up helping my dad kind of raise my younger two sisters and then went to Moody Bible Institute. I met my wife. We got married at 21, right? 21, my junior year of college, right? And I thought I had it all figured out. I don't. So uh, did that and then got pregnant. And so I graduated from college with a Bible degree and a son, right? Like that's, that was kind of in my picture. I have both of those things. And then in the, in the first year of Patty and I's, or the second year of Patty and I's marriage, Patty's parents get divorced and find out her father has been unfaithful to her mom her whole entire life. And so it's like, what is going on, right? What is happening? And so Patty goes into a deep, dark depression, but we don't know what depression is. I just think she's just sad all the time. Meanwhile, I'm at my first job as a pastor feeling like, wow, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. So I'm living in this disparity, right? This tension that says God is so good and I feel like the word of God is coming alive. I'm actually getting to apply it in the areas that I'm doing it. And my wife is so depressed and I don't know what that means. And so we moved down to Arizona. Uh, On the way down to Arizona, I had a job lined up. We were going to help launch a church, but they couldn't afford to pay me. So I was going to get a, I got a job in construction. And that job, my family's in the air and I'm on the ground. They call me and we had just bought a house and they said, hey, we don't have a job for you. So I show up in Arizona with no job. So I then uh, go for the next two weeks, go around, try to find a job, right? And so I end up becoming a foreman for a construction crew in Costa Grande. I don't know if you know this, but Phoenix is hot, right? If you're from the Midwest, you're like, I am in purgatory. Like I have done something wrong. God is angry at me, right? So I'm in Costa Grande going like, ah, you know, what is happening? 
and I end up getting hired at a, at a church in Chandler and do that, go to India and just get wrecked in India. I just got obliterated in India. Just God opened my eyes. I felt like I met Jesus again all over for the first time. Came back, launched Phoenix One because I was just like, I wanna do something. I wanna make an impact. I wanna serve the kingdom of God. So we launched this thing and, and nobody really knew what it was and it was kind of a weird deal, but we felt like that's what God was gonna do. So then it ended up growing, right? And in a year, we had around 800 people that were attending every other week and then my son gets diagnosed with cancer. I'm like, what? What? What is happening? And then four years later, we shut the organization down. Move, uh, we ended up adopting our daughter here in Phoenix because we felt like that's what God wanted us to do. So now I had this four-year-old little girl who's just broken and hurting. Our son's still in treatment, but we're just gonna keep going too. I wanna be faithful. I wanna follow after God, right? And so I end up doing a corporate America for a couple years and then moved to California to become a pastor again. And within the first month of showing up in California, my wife gets diagnosed with breast cancer. Three years later, I get diagnosed with cancer. Right? It's just like, have you ever been there where you're like, what is going on? What is happening right now? And by the way, praise be to God, our whole family is cancer-free and we're so thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. But have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever had that thing inside of you? Like, God, I love you, but what is happening? What is going on? That is what's so beautiful. This Psalm is so precious to me. So precious to me. It's so precious to me because it's so human. It's written by the son of Korah. Korah, if you remember, had a revolt against Moses. God wipes them out, but he spares the sons of Korah. And so now these people, these the sons of Korah, end up, be, they're a part of the, the tribe of Le, uh, the, they're, uh, the Levites, right? And they're, they're, the part of what they do is they serve in the temple. They, they help lead in worship. And, and, and they've experienced the mercy of God who could have eradicated their whole family line, but he saves the sons of Korah. So they write these Psalms out of this sense of mercy, the mercy of God, but they're also wrestling and in the tension of life is hard. It doesn't make sense, right? In this particular Psalm, he's away from Jerusalem. He's craving and longing to worship with his people, but yet he's going back and forth. He, he doesn't, you know, it's so human. It feels so, I'm so grateful for this psalm because it's so human. And you can feel his turmoil, can't you? You can feel it. You can feel as he's talking about all your breakers and all your waves come crashing over me. Have you forgotten me? Like he's just in turmoil, right? And so the rhythm of this psalm is that he longs for God, he laments to God, and then he lectures himself. He lectures himself. But what's really beautiful about this psalm is that it's human. It's so unbelievably honest and it's human, and I'm so thankful for it. Um, how many of you in here are, are optimists? Like how many, just raise your hand. How many of you are optimists, right? I wake up every morning going, this is gonna be the greatest day 
ever, right? Optimists are some of the most annoying people on the planet, but you need us, okay? You need us. My wife is a realist. She calls herself a realist, which is really a pessimist. It's just that they don't like being called pessimists, so they call themselves realists, right? So she's a realist. And so when my son w- was sick, you know, I, I'm, I'm the guy in the room going like, everything's gonna be okay. God is faithful. He, he's got us. He sees us, right? And I'm trying to move us forward. But the reality is, is I don't want to deal with the pain I'm going through. I don't want to actually be honest and feel the pain of what is happening in my world, in our world. And my wife finally stopped me one time and said, would you just stop it? Would you stop it? Would you just be human for a minute? Would you just be human for a minute? And can we just be human for a minute as we walk through this passage? Because that's what it's inviting us into. Just be human. It's okay. Just be honest. Stop faking it. Just be honest. Just be human. And I realized I wasn't. I wasn't being human. I wasn't lamenting. I wasn't struggling. But that's why I love this psalm so much because it's gonna start opening something up for us that will draw us near to the Lord as we start getting honest about where we really are and what's really going on. So the the psalm really starts off with this longing, right? The son of Korah is longing for God as a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There's this phrase that kids use, I'm starving. Isn't that the most annoying thing to hear from a child? Like, I'm starving. It's a swear word in our house, and I'm not even kidding. Like, they are not allowed to say, I am starving. I'm like, you have no idea, right? I've traveled around the world. I promise you, you have no idea what it is to feel starving, right? But I think sometimes we kind of have that same mantra in our lives spiritually, right? And, and the reality is what he's trying to invite us into is I am starving. Like a dying deer in the woods, I'm starving for the presence of God. My soul is starving for him. I want him I want to be filled by him. I want to sense his presence. And my soul is in turmoil to the point like I'm like a deer wandering around the woods trying to find his presence. And I I have struggled to relate with this passage, right? It's really the only verse I ever memorized or ever really knew about in Psalms 42 until I started digging into it, but never really could relate with it. Right? Because here's the thing I've learned about myself, and maybe you're like me, is we like to date God. We like, we like to, you got some really great qualities, God, right? Let's see if this will work out, God, right? You see, let's see if your love and your forgiveness is awesome. Okay, oh, oh I, I saw some characteristics I didn't like, right? I don't know if it's gonna work out, God, right? In India, which I have spent a, a good amount of my life in India, in India, they do arranged marriages, and I thought that was so bizarre, But because as Westerners, we are drawn by attraction, right? It's usually attraction first. In an Indian culture, attraction is secondary. It's character. They're pointing to character. You have a a family, two families that are looking to the character of the children and seeing what will best work for them. In the Western culture, it's so individualized that it's become all about attraction. Does this person have the qualities that I want to make my life better? We do the same thing with God. And so we don't understand what it is for our souls 
to long for him. To long, because we're too busy dating him. And God won't have it. He's like, no, 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 no. I am love. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am all that you're looking for. Come into me. Join me. Union, right? I was never taught how to fall in love with Jesus. I was only ever taught how to follow him. And what the psalmist is inviting us into is us longing for the presence of God to the point where it feels like if I don't have it, I'm gonna die. Brother Lawrence, he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. It was really helpful for me in this process of me understanding this passage and really what it is to connect with God. He says this, this made me very uncomfortable, by the way. My most useful method is this in connection with God. Simple attention done with passionate regard to God, to whom I find myself often attracted with greater sweetness and delight than that of an infant at its mother's breast. So much so that if I dare use this expression, I choose to call it the state, I call this state the bosom of God because of the inexpressible sweetness which I taste and experience there. If sometimes my thoughts wander from God because of necessity, I am recalled back to God soon after by inward sensations, listen to this, so charming and delicious that I am afraid to speak to them. My, his thoughts of God are so charming and delicious. I don't know if I've ever talked about that. My relationship with God is delicious, right? But he's inviting us into what the psalmist is trying to help us understand of going, do we long for God that way? That it's just overwhelming. But because so many of us are in the business of dating God, we'll never understand what it is to abide with Christ. When Jesus says in John 15, abide in me and I'll abide in you, he's talking about consummation, union. He's not talking, he, he's not talking about you following him. He's talking about intimacy with God to where what your soul is craving, what your soul is longing is intimacy with God. Not just following, following God almost cost me my relationship with him. It wasn't until I started learning to long for the presence of God and being honest with where I was at. Because when you long for God in this way, here's what ends up happening. When you long for God in this way, you start to see your own depravity, but you also see the depravity and the brokenness around you. And you start to see him as the good shepherd. You start to see him as the one who cares. And so when the world around you gets overwhelming and I don't know what to do, there's a tension there. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to do with a loving God, a God of justice, a God of mercy, a sovereign God, Jehovah Jireh, right? Jehovah Rapha. And then all of a sudden we have these things in our lives that don't, we don't know what to do. And so what do we do when things go bad, we lament to God. I promise you, it's okay. It's okay. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. David is called a man after God's own heart. As you read through the Psalms, you will find lament. Lament is going to release you into the loving hands of the Father. 
But we, because we live in the West, we don't know how to deal with this tension. And so what we do is we resist God. We push him away. And so if we're not careful, we read passages like in verse three, where it says, my tears have become my food day and night. He's experiencing a depression. All your breakers, all your waves come, have gone over me. Why have, we, you forget, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? What the heck, God? What the heck? What's going on? This is too much. It's too hard. And God is not offended by this. Have you ever felt this way? I mean, honestly, like the last 18 months have exposed us, haven't they? Have they exposed your hearts, your fears, your worries? These cries of your heart and you're trying to go like, what do I do with this? He's like, be honest. But for so many of us, we're putting God at a distance in this moment. We're saying, because stuff isn't right, I have to push you away. Until stuff starts working again, then I embrace you again. Like when I was meeting with my counselor, I've been going to a counselor for the last three and a half years. And the, and the, and the counselor says, you know what, Jeff? Every time you talk about good stuff, you talk about the pleasure of God. How near. But anytime stuff goes bad in your life, it's as if you're, God's so far away from you. And I, real, I saw it. That's what was happening. Anytime I talked about God, when things were, it was like I was pushing him away. Like he's this agnostic reality sitting in a rocking chair somewhere in heaven going like, well, we'll just see how this pans out. He's going, he's near you. He's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to you. And God is not offended by your humanity. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, not God away from us. Listen to these words in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. I just want you to hear that. Jesus, 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 the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our humanity, but one who in every aspect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Jesus knows what you've been through, what you're going through. He knows what rejection feels like. He knows what it is to have dissidence in his life. He knows what it is to be persecuted. He knows, and he sympathizes with you. He doesn't hold you at a distance and say, well, wait till you figure this out. He draws near and he's inviting you to draw near to him. But I think so often the posture of our heart with God is like this. When Jesus is going like this, the psalmist is going like this. Lament invites us into that, into that relationship, into that tension. And it causes us to question, where will I find comfort? What will hold me true and strong? So 
be honest, but don't turn away. Don't push him away. Invite him in. Lament through your pain. Lament through your hurt. If your marriage is falling, lament. Your finances are a wreck, lament. If you don't have a job, lament. Invite him into that space. If you have friendships that have died over the last 18 months, lament it. Invite him into that. He knows, he knows what that feels like. Keep, stop keeping him at a distance. If you're longing for him, invite him into the pain as well. And in him, you will not find that tension. You will find the wholeness that you're seeking after, which is why the psalmist then rolls over. And actually Psalms 42 and 43 are one psalm. And at the center of this psalm is this lecturing to himself and to us. Why? Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope. Hope, hope in God. For I shall praise again my salvation and my God. Do you, do you hear the language? This tension being resolved as he's preaching the gospel to himself. We need to do that. We need to learn to talk to ourselves. Like when I started counseling, one of the things that my counselor invited me into is just asking myself, why do I do that? Right? If you want to really screw up your day and just start asking yourself, right? And honestly, it'll lead you into an immense amount of health, health, right? Just go, why did I do that? Right? Like, why do I, why am I freaking out on my kids? Why, why am I, why am I angry at my wife because I did the dishes and she didn't go, way to go, buddy, you did it. Right? What, what is that? Right? I have a mom wound, right? How do I not know I have a mom wound? And I'm going like, you know, looking at my wife going like, come on, feel that mom wound in me. Right? I got to deal with that. So I got to start talking to that guy and going like, bro, what is that? What's that thing inside of you that thinks your wife can feel that in you? And you got to start talking to that thing. Why is it that some of you on the highway, it is like rage monster. You ever get in a car with somebody who's like super sweet and then all of a sudden somebody like is going slow in the highway and they're like, and you're like, whoa, what happened? Like this thing comes out, like you should go, what is that? Why is that there? Why am I so angry, right? It's not like this person is trying to personally offend me as they're driving, but there's something inside of me that's like, where did that come from? And start asking that question. Start working through this. Uh, Martin Lord Jones, he's a, a beautiful pastor. He's, he passed away now, but he says this in, in, in the context of this, and I'm gonna, I, he has a whole quote, but I'm gonna move on through the quote a little bit. And he says this, now this man's treatment in Psalms 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him and tell him about who he is and what's going on, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. We need to speak. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Do you know this? That the gospel isn't just for a bunch of people who don't know Jesus. The gospel is for people who know Jesus, especially. We have the spirit of the living God that is in us. But for so many of us, we won't lament. We don't long. And so we're in constant tension. We need to preach to ourselves. You need to say, self, look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. 
Look to Jesus. Preach to yourself. Self. Will your depression fix your reality? He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems on its own. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is the gospel that we need to preach to ourselves. You need to learn to preach to yourself. If you're coming to Sunday, you're coming here on Sunday morning hoping that you get preached at and haven't preached to yourself all week long, I promise you will never be enough. It will never be enough. Learn to preach to yourself. Learn to preach the gospel to yourself because the problem, the psalmist is going, God's not the problem. We are. Our reality is not the problem. We are. Like G.K. Chesterton in response, he was a famous English pastor. He wrote in response to an article written in the newspaper, they asked the question, what's wrong with the world? And he responded, I am. We are. We're what's wrong with the local church. We're what's wrong with the world. We're what's wrong. Which is why Jesus's redemptive grace and mercy is so important. This is why the psalmist moves us to hope in God. What do I do when everything else feels chaotic? What do I do when I don't know? I hope in God. I hope in him. He will direct me. He will guide me. The anthem of scripture, the whole of scripture is hope in God. Hope in God, not in politicians. Hope in God. As we hope in God, it releases and opens our hearts to realize that we were depraved and without Jesus' death and resurrection, we were hopeless. Wages of sin is death, but the hope comes in. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is what we're being invited to. This is what the psalmist is hoping that we will do and invite ourselves in because Hebrews 13, eight says this, that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it's why we can hope in him. And he made a way for us, but you gotta preach the gospel to yourself. That in those times, be honest about where you're at, but don't forget he has gone before you and he is gone behind you, and he knows you, and he sympathizes with your pain and your humanity. So just be honest. Stop faking it. The scripture calls that being a hypocrite, which literally translates, stop acting, stop pretending. And if church could be a place where we could actually just be honest and broken and hurt, I promise you that he will use that for his glory. I I told you earlier that I spent a decent amount of time in India and um, a couple years ago, I went to a village outside of Padapuram. Padapuram is in southern India. It's, a, it's the second largest red light district in, in the whole country. And so uh, I spend time with a ministry there called Harvest India. And so I go into this village and I meet with this pastor, uh, Pastor um, Jacob. I meet with Pastor Jacob. And I sit down with Jacob and I ask him a single question. I'm like, listen, why? Why did you decide to be a pastor? Why? And he, and, he, and he looks at me and he says, because Jesus loves me. As an Indian pastor, you're committed to poverty. You're committed to abuse. Your family, your children will be abused. They'll burn your house down. They'll flog you. Why? 
Why would you choose to be a pastor? Why would you choose? Because Jesus loves me. And I thought, no, that's way too simple, right? It's gotta be far more, but it isn't. It just isn't. I'm sorry, it's not. If you're looking for a more powerful message than that, there isn't one. He loves you. And that love should propel you to move forward in the spaces and places he caused you to in the midst of pain and hurt because Jesus knows and he did it and he's our pioneer and he's our perfecter and he's awakening your souls. He's awakening our souls to move forward in spite of all the bad that happens because he is worthy of all the glory, all the honor and the praise. And this man will spend the rest of his life preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to a village because of the simple truth that he believes that Jesus loves him. And I wonder today, maybe that might be the most powerful thing that you could walk away with through this song. Is that loving Jesus isn't just some really pithy thing we say in church. It's life. It's life. And it defines all of life. And so what would it look like for you to preach that gospel message to yourself day in and day out, highs and lows for his glory and his honor? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you. You deserve all the glory, honor, and praise. We do not. And we thank you that you're patient with us in our pain, that you call us and invite us to really, truly be human. And so we say yes and amen to that. Use us, use us as we glorify you in our infirmaries. Use us, use us, Lord Jesus, when the times are good to bless those who are hurting. Use us, Lord Draw near to us, and we will draw, and you, as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You promise that. So, Father God, would you be glorified in all that we do? Bless this church in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.